Now, we're jumping into a season that I will tell you I am incredibly, incredibly excited about. It is I am, we're exploring the seven I am statements of Jesus. And I want you to know we've produced more resources for this season than anyone that we've done in the past. We have a version Bible reading plan that is live on the version app right now. Just look for that really cool red graphic and type in I am and read. There's 10 days of devotionals on there that walk you through these statements. We have a study guide, a really cool red study guide. If you don't have one, get one. There's also a PDF download on our website for it. We've got Grave coming out and everything else. But uh, here, here's what I'm praying and here's what I'm believing. That this season will so clearly identify and define who Jesus is to us that we'll know what we can become for him. Jesus himself defines, in fact, uh, here's what I wanted to do a little bit, and if you've read ahead in the study guide, you've already seen this, but when God appeared to Moses and the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 3, and he told Moses at a burning bush, you're going to lead my people out of slavery, uh, and, and Moses looked back at God and he said, who do I tell the people that you are? And God said this, tell them I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So then we jump into, and, and I am, I am is the cleanest Hebrew translation of that. It, it's, it's what becomes translated Yahweh. So if you've heard Yahweh or you've heard someone refer to God as Yahweh, it started there in Exodus 3, verse 14, when Moses said, who do I tell the people that you are? He said, tell them I am, I am, or I am, I am is now Yahweh, okay? So then we move to Jesus, and Jesus in the narrative of John makes seven statements, and all seven of these statements, he uses what's called the ego am I. It's two Greek words that both mean I am. It's ego, ego, where we get ego from, and am I is the same thing. They both mean about myself. And, and together, those two Greek words are the Hebrew translation of Yahweh. So here's what's really, really important to understand. When we talk about these I am statements of Jesus, Jesus is not saying I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am God, and I am the bread of life. I am the one sent from heaven to earth, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the fulfillment of everything that you've read about. I am God, and I am the bread of life. And here's the crazy thing, and this will become our outline for the next seven weeks. The disciples miss it every single time. Every single time Jesus comes before them, he defines himself and he lets them know who he is and every time they miss it. The University of Princeton psychology department used to do this study and they would do this study to every incoming new student. They would, they would welcome them on campus and then they had a room and they had this little people of this room and there was a picture on the back wall and they would tell the students, I want you to look through that hole and I want you to memorize everything on that picture. So the new students would walk up, they would look through the hole, they'd look at this picture for like five minutes, they'd step away and then they would ask them to describe what they saw on that picture and with amazing detail, these students would describe the picture. They knew the words, they knew the colors, they knew the layout, some of them even knew the scene where it was shot and everything else. And then they would ask him this question, okay, now tell us, what else did you see in the room? And their description of detail dropped by over 
10% because they were so focused on one small thing that they missed the entire thing that was around them. As we journey through these I am statements, here is what we are going to see. We are going to see disciples and we are going to see Jesus defining himself for the world, most of the time coupled with a miracle that he just performed, and they completely miss it. Here's what we need to do for interpretation. We have to realize who we are in the story. It's really, really easy to read into it. Anytime you read scripture to read, oh, well, Jesus is the bread of life, so I'm the bread of life, right? I just give nourishment and sustenance to everybody around. No, no, no. We're the disciples in the story, We're the ones who are constantly missing it as Jesus appears right before our face and he says, I am the only thing that's going to sustain you, the only thing that's going to strengthen you, the only thing that's going to give you life, the only thing that's going to keep you going when everything else fails. And we are the disciples who are like, yeah, that's great, but I still want to hang out with these friends and party and do things I shouldn't do. Oh, wait, was that Jesus right in front of me? Was that him defining? That's who we are in the story, and that becomes our outline for today. Today's statement is, I am the bread of life. When God wanted to set free the children of Israel from slavery, he instituted a meal called the Passover, where they sacrifice an animal, blood on the doorpost, and then he says, now eat this animal with bread. When God wanted to reveal himself to the children of Israel when they were exiting slavery and found themselves in the wilderness and found themselves hungry, he provides for them bread. When the devil wanted to tempt Jesus, he used bread. When Jesus wanted to illustrate who he is and the salvation that he brings and the new life that he has, he sat his disciples down and he broke bread. At the end, when Jesus returns, it will be the wedding feast of the Lamb, and what we will do at the wedding feast of the Lamb is enjoy bread with Jesus. So bread becomes this metaphor throughout Scripture, and it becomes this metaphor of a life-giving sustenance that we find and can only find through Christ, okay? And four different times in the John chapter 6 narrative, the disciples miss it. That's our outline, okay? So if you want to write down miss 1, miss 2, miss 3, miss 4, that's where we're headed. And usually I read the passage beforehand, but it's like 60 some odd verses and we're going through all of them anyway. So let's jump in to the John chapter 6 narrative. Jesus just before this fed thousands of people, okay? So he just took the lunch of a small child, five loaves and two fish, and he multiplied it, and he fed thousands of people. If I had a few crackers and a fish up here and fed all of you, you would think, hmm, there's something different maybe? There's something supernatural? There's something happening up there, right? That's exactly what Jesus just did, but watch John chapter 6, 26 through 36. Miss number one is wanting the bread more than the baker. The first miss is they wanted the bread. They really wanted the bread. Can we have more of this bread? And Jesus says to them, I I get you want the bread, but what about the baker? What about the guy making it? Listen, John chapter 6, 26 through 36. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. 
But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his, his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. What does God want most from you? Maybe in here asking yourself, what does God really want from me? Like, what, what is his heart's desire for me? What is he wanting me to do? What does he want me to believe? This is it. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, this is crazy. This is so crazy. They said, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? He just did it. Like, he just did it. It wasn't even a day hadn't even passed by. He just fed thousands of people miraculously. And they said, hey, show us a sign. What can you do? And then 31, this is great. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. If you haven't been with us for a while, we walked through this entire out of Egypt season. But that becomes the pinnacle, the pinnacle miracle. miracle. It's been three weeks. That becomes the miracle that the children of Israel always celebrate. It is like the miracle, the thing that they always, always talk about, right? So they're always celebrating it, and they say, what can you do after all? God gave our ancestors manna in the wilderness. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Give us that bread every day. And here it is. Are you ready? Man, I've lost you. I've lost you. Jesus says, here it is. My father is the one who gave the bread. And then John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. In other words, he's saying you want the bread without the baker. You're more concerned with me answering your prayers for healing than you are me, myself. You're more concerned with me giving you a raise or a new job or new friends or a new atmosphere or a new city to live in. You're more concerned with me giving you what you want rather than who it is that is providing for you. They wanted they wanted bread more than they wanted the baker. And let me just tell you this. If you are always hungry for what God can do for you, it will eventually compete with who God is to you. If you are constantly hungry for what you need God to do for you, for what you want God to do for you, if you are constantly following God with something in mind of like, Lord, I'll give you my whole heart. Will you just do this for me? Lord, I'll give you my whole heart. Will you just answer this for me? If you are always hungry for what God can do for you, it will eventually compete with who God is to you. Because here is the heartbreaking news. God is not always going to do everything you want. 
God is not always going to do everything you, nor should he, because if he did, would he be God? I mean, if God was at my command, then who's God? Not him, it's me. Yet they're saying, God, we just give us this bread every day. And he's saying, you want the bread? Forget about the bread. Look at me if the entire relationship with him is based on what we can get from him. What do we call Don't we call that gold digging? Don't we call that fake love, fake affection, faking it until you can get the credit card and get what you want, Right? That's what we call it. That's what the world calls it, right? Oh, they're just gold digging. They don't really love him. They just want what they can get from him. This is exactly what the disciples were doing to Jesus. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate it for you. Maybe I'll win you back. Um, I am, I'm a big bread fan, big bread fan. I can't eat it anymore. Apparently, I have a grain intolerance. I'm looking for a second opinion, if you know a good doctor. But uh, yeah, grain intolerance, can't eat it, absolutely love it. And there are some places on my list that have unbelievable bread. How about Golden Corral Rolls? Yeah? Amen? You with me? What about Cheesecake Factory, specifically the brown bread? Love the brown bread, but the butter has to be soft, right? Don't bring me no butter straight out of the fridge. I can't even wipe it on my bread. I don't like that at all. Uh, Olive Garden breadsticks? Olive Garden breadsticks. Now, here's the thing. Texas, you know nothing about Fazoli's. Anyone in here know about Fazoli's? Fazoli's has some breadsticks, right? Like, they make Olive Garden taste like cardboard. They are, Fazoli's has breadsticks. But there is one place that if I could, if I knew it was my last meal, this is the bread I'm getting. Who's got a guess? Texas Roadhouse! Texas Roadhouse, all the way. It's the rolls, and then it's the cinnamon butter. What in the world, Right? It's the cinnamon butter. It is, I, I am like, when we order a roll, I'm like, I need four rolls, and I need four of those little tubs of butter, because if you go any less than one tub per roll, you ain't doing it right, right? So I used to go to Texas Roadhouse with my friends, and we'd be like, hey, we each need a basket of bread. Like, one basket per, put six in there if you can, six tubs of butter, and we'd just eat all of it, and it was so unbelievably good, and then something would happen Every single time we'd finish the bread, the meal would show up, and I'd go, oh, no. What, what do we do? Ate too much bread. I'm like, oh, man, this looks so good. And I always got the barbecue chicken and the sirloin, and it was just, man, it was so, I'm going to Texas Roadhouse tonight. Are they open? Now we have to, right? Like, how do we say no after this? Um, but I would do this every time. I would fill up on bread, and I wouldn't have enough for the main course. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I have a meal prepared for you that is going to fill you and sustain you and carry you and last forever with you, and you are more concerned about one little request. You are hung up on what you thought should have been answered years ago, but still not answered now. And my entire relationship with you has become one prayer request that you're waiting to answer. I'm the bread of life. 
He's saying, open your eyes for a moment. It's me. It's not about what I can do for you. Look, we make so much of our relationship about Jesus about results when it's the relationship that changes us. We make it so much more about results than relationship. Did I do this? Did God do this? Am I being good here? Is God being good here? What do I need to change so I can get what I want from God? And he is saying all of that is wonderful. And what father doesn't want to give good gifts to his children? But at the end of the day, it's not results. It's relationship. At the end of the day, it's not bread. It's baker. It is the one who is the bread of life that sustains us. He says, you're so caught up in this miraculous thing that I did that you don't even see who I am. You're not even in pursuit of me. You're in pursuit of what you need from me. That was miss number one, and it only gets better. Miss number two, they relied on their own understanding. So they go through this time, they want the bread, but not the baker. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then John 6, 41 through 43, he says, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This is amazing. These are the same disciples that saw him do the miracle of feeding thousands of people. And they're like, you know, I don't know. Maybe. I, he's saying he came down from heaven. Listen, they say, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. Skip down to verse 47. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. This is it but they all died. Remember, that was the pinnacle miracle of the day. It was the miracle they all told stories about. They all, hey, remember when that bread, you know, it's, it's like Cowboys fans. <laughs> For real. Hey, you remember in the 90s, all those Super Bowls we won? <laughs> I'm like, dude, that was over 20 years ago. Half the people in this room weren't alive. And you're acting like it was last year. Hey, remember all them Super Bowls? Man, Cowboys forever, baby. We got, nah, about 25 years ago, it was good. 25, that's, that's what, I mean, that's not what Jesus is saying. Maybe, I don't know. But <laughs> this is what he is saying. He's saying that miracle that you're clinging to, that you like to brag about, that you like to talk about, that you like to celebrate at the dinner table, it wasn't, it wasn't a God, it wasn't a Moses thing, it was a God thing, and I'm greater than that. What happened to all of them? He said, they're all dead. They're all dead. In other words, the one miracle that you've hung your hat on wasn't even close to who I am. Verse 50. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am, the bre I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. When was another time that the children of Israel or God's followers complained about bread? It's easy. Teed up for us. Exodus chapter 16. They're in the wilderness, and they start looking around, and they're hungry, and they start complaining. They start saying, man, did he just lead us out of slavery so that we could die from hunger? 
Like, what is he doing around here? And so God provides manna that comes down from heaven and lands, and he says, on the seventh day, do not collect extras for yourself. Don't collect extras for the next day. Just take it day by day, the daily bread, right? And what happens? They collect bread on the extra day, and God's frustrated again. So then we go into Exodus chapter 17. What happens? They have no water. He just sent bread from heaven. And now they're like, well, actually, we're thirsty, too. The bread made us thirsty. What, are we supposed to die of thirst? There's no water in this place. And what does God do? He sends water from a rock. Not once, but twice. Water comes gushing out of this rock. And in Exodus 17, 7, by the way, they complain again afterwards. In Exodus 17, 7, it says, Moses named that place Masa. Not the corn stuff with your Mexican meal. That's... that's not the same thing. Moses named that place Masa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord with us or not? They questioned him based on what they could understand and what they were willing to rationalize. It happened over and over. We don't have food. God must have abandoned us. We don't have water. God must have abandoned us. He said he came from heaven, but I know his mama and daddy. And over and over, they rationalize him to a place where they're only willing to believe to the level that they can understand. Here is the problem with that. I can promise you this. At some point in your faith journey, you are going to come to a time where something happens and you don't understand it. Maybe a diagnosis, maybe a tragic death, maybe something that you could, you, you just, as hard as you try, there is nothing you can do to understand why that happened. God does not work within our understanding. He works beyond our understanding. But if our willingness to obey and believe in him is strictly by what we can rationalize, it runs out. It completely runs out. Listen to him in John 6, verses 15 through 51. He says, anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. He said, the one miracle that you trust, they all died. I am the bread that goes beyond it. You can't understand it. You can't rationalize it. You can't control it, but it is me. That's the bread. It is the bread that sustains us when nothing else will. It is the bread that cures the hunger of our soul when nothing else in the world can do it. And we won't understand everything that comes along with it. But our job is not to understand it. I love uh, a theologian said, Jesus did not reveal to us a God we can perfectly understand, but he did reveal to us a God we can perfectly trust. Jesus did not come to give us a revelation of a God we perfectly understand or completely understand. He came to give us a revelation of a God we can completely understand and perfectly trust. That is the bread. 
That's the bread. That's the invitation. Will you believe me up to the level that you can understand, or will you believe me beyond your own understanding? One of them runs out. One of them runs out, and one of them lasts forever. One of them you can cheer on and celebrate, and you die when you've eaten it. The other one lasts and sustains you forever. So that was myth number two. Myth number three. This is where it gets really good. Eat the bread. Somebody say, eat the bread. Say it with violence. Eat the bread. Jesus, John 6, 52 through 58, says, then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. Can you believe these people? It's us. I mean, yes, we can. We do the same thing, right? God moves. We see these testimonies of baptism. Lives are being transformed. And yet we're saying, eh, I don't know if I'm ready. I'm going to rationalize it a little bit more. I'm going to put it in my box a little more. If I can control it later, then maybe I'll do it. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, here, the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me in the same way Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. Again, he's taking another shot, but, I, but will live forever. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is calling them to radical commitment. He's calling them to radical commitment. They wanted the bread, right? They said in the beginning, well, sir, give us this bread. We want more of this bread. How do we get this bread? And he said, well, the bread's me. And they're like, oh, I don't know. And he said, and you have to eat it. And they're like, wait, what? What? This, this just took a turn, right? I was thinking rolls and cinnamon butter, and now I'm looking at a person. I don't know about this. And yet Jesus is pushing them to a place of if you really want me, it has to be beyond your comfort zone. It has to be beyond what you're willing to rationalize. It has to be beyond what you want from me to who I am. We, we watch these shows. We watch all of them. Name it. If it's got people, it's a reality show. It's got challenges and alliances. We watch them all. Survivor, Big Brother, Amazing Race, and on and on and on. And there was one of these shows where there was this, this redemption house where people got voted off. and or, No, they lost. They lost the challenge. They got kicked off, and they were in this redemption house, and they were competing for a million bucks. And the whole goal of the redemption house house was to get back in and compete for the million, right? And there's this final that they run, so they're all doing this competition, and they bring all of these contestants back, and they tell all of these contestants, we're going to pair you up, male and female, and it's a pair, and whoever wins this contest gets to go back and compete for a million dollars. And there's this guy on there who's just, he was so desperate to win. He had a really compelling story. He's like, I'm going to take care of my 
kids, my family. I got to do all of this. I have to win this million dollars. My dad has cancer. My mom is this. And he, he just had the story, right? And he was desperate to win. And he gets paired up with this girl. And she's on there. And she's in this interview. And she's like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll, I'll put my life on the line. I'll do whatever is required of me. We're going to come back and we're going to win this million. So they bring him out. They introduce the challenge. And they're like, okay, we've got an eating challenge. You have to eat pig intestines, cow testicles, and drink the blood of a goose. And she was like, nope, I'm out. Nope, can't do it. And he's sitting there, and he's looking at her, and he's like, are you serious? Like, you were just saying how you would do anything to be a part of this, and now you're going to bow out? And so he tries to do it himself, and it's just, it's enough for two to three people, and, and the, everyone else is just killing it. And it just becomes a sad moment where this guy's chewing on pig intestines, and he's looking at his partner, and she's like, no way. And he's saying, you said you'd do anything. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you want the bread? Come and eat. You want the bread? Come and drink. And he's saying, why are you hesitant now? Oh, you don't want to give up those friends. Oh, you don't want to give up that addiction. You don't want to give up that secret on your internet browsing history. You don't want to give that up? Come on, you, ju you just sat here and said, I'll do anything to be close to you. And now, this little thing, and you won't eat? You won't drink? That's the challenge that Jesus is issuing. He's saying, all you've been talking about is how you want the bread of life, but you won't take one bite. All you have been talking about is how you want this salvation that has come. You want this bread that gives eternal life. Well, he's standing right in front of you. What's stopping you? You're hesitant now. You don't want to participate now. You're nervous now. You're scared now. You're contemplating your comforts now, and you're not willing to step out. That was miss number three. And then finally, we get to the good part. Miss number four, this is just hard. Listen to the disciples. This is crazy. John 6, 60 through 64. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. Hmm. Crazy, right? Like, part of me says we owe you an apology if you've ever come in here and we've made following Jesus sound easy. Right? Like, if we've done that, if we have been a people who have somehow given you an image of following Jesus is easy, please forgive us. Now, coming to Jesus is very easy. Coming to Jesus is believing Jesus died on a cross, was buried, and rose from the dead to give me new life. Coming to Jesus is easy. Following Jesus is anything but. It's anything but. And if anybody tells you any different, that is not a clear representation of the gospel. Ask Jesus himself. What did he say? He said, you have to die. He said, you have to die. He said, he who wants to save his life will lose it. He who really wants to be my follower will become a servant. He will die. He will crucify, as Paul said, his flesh so that he can live by the Spirit. It's anything but easy. It's hard. It's waking up every day and telling yourself you're not going to do the things you want to do, but you know you shouldn't, and you're going to do the things you don't want to do, but you know you should, and it is constantly 
fighting, battling, and killing your flesh. It's hard. And that's exactly what the disciples said. They said, this is not easy. This is not, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Verse 61. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? So good. Have I offended you today? <laughs> Have I made you mad? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Did you hear that? Human effort accomplishes nothing when it comes to eternal things. It's the words of spirit and life, and what I have given you are spirit and life, but some of you don't believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. John 6, 66 through 67, here it is. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Picture in your mind's eye for a moment. You're on the seashores of Galilee, and everyone has rallied because this Messiah has just fed thousands of people, and he's done the miraculous, and the Passover is near, and he comes before everyone, and he says, do you want the bread? And they're like, yeah, give us the bread. Come have a bite. And they're like, wait a second. I don't know. And then they start to walk away from him one by one, and here they are on the shores. And their excuse, what did they say? This is really hard. This is really hard. Don't know if I can do it. Don't know if I have what it takes. And they begin to walk away and listen to Jesus. Verse 67. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to go also? Think about that for a moment. Are you going to leave too? Everyone in this room is just walking away. Like, nope, we don't want it. And there's 12 left. And he says, what about you? You going to go too? You going to take off? Too hard? Too difficult? Too challenging? Are you too comfortable now? And listen for all the times that Peter absolutely screws it up. And he does it a lot in Scripture. He gets it so right here. This is quickly becoming one of my favorite verses. John 6, verse 68, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? Where else would we go? Like, what, where else would we turn? He said, you have the words that give eternal life. Jesus looks at him and he says, you going to go too? They don't want it. They said they wanted it, but they don't want it. What about you? And Peter looks and he's like, where would we go? We have nothing to fall back on. We have nowhere else to turn. We've already committed our lives to this. You know, the greatest commitment of faith we can make might not be when we know the destination or everything is easy or we can control the outcomes. The greatest commitment of faith that we can make is when we have nowhere else to go. We have so committed to this and we have poured everything that we have into this that there's nowhere else we could go. Where am I going to turn? Alcohol? Where am I going to turn? A bottle of pills? Where am I going to turn? Pornography? Like, where am I going to turn? A new friend group? Where am I, where am I going to go? They didn't have 
everything that they wanted, but they were fully committed. (laughs) But it's hard, right? My marriage is hard, but where else am I going to go? That was a metaphor. Love you. Everything's great, right? (laughs) Raising kids is hard, but where else am I going to turn? Am I going to ask the world how to raise my kids? Am I going to watch a TV show to learn how to raise my kids? Like, what am I going to do? Life is hard. You may be in here saying, life is hard. This is difficult, but your follow-up is this. Where else am I going to go? Like, where else can I turn that has the life that I need? Where else can I turn that has the sustenance that I need? Where else can I turn? I've been praying for healing and believing God for healing, and it's not come yet, and this is really hard. But where else am I going to go? What else am I going to turn to? That's, that's the bread. Listen, that's the rest of the room. The rest of the room is, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to turn? And listen to what Jesus says. I love how all of this wraps up if we jump to the Last Supper. So Jesus gathers his disciples. He's already let them know he is the bread of life and what all of that entails. We've just walked through it all. He gathers them, and in Matthew 26, he does it at the end. In Luke 22, he does it at the very beginning. It says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very hungry to eat. I've been very eager, sorry. I've been very eager. Bread talks got me jonesing for some carbs, right? Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Listen to verse 16. He says, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Here is what Jesus is saying. He's been taught, I am the bread of life. If you want life, you will eat my flesh and you will drink my blood. And they sit down at a table and he breaks open a loaf and he illustrates salvation by saying, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. And as they partake in it, Jesus says to them, now this is a meal that won't end until we're together at the table. This is not ending until we're together. This is not ending again until we are with my Father in the kingdom of heaven. Here is what he's saying. I'm the bread of life, and if you keep eating from me and you stay at my table, you will always have enough. This meal will never end. The bread does not run out. As long as you stay at the table, there's bread for you. You may not have control of everything. You may not understand everything. You may not get everything that you want, but there is a bread that will sustain you beyond how you feel, beyond what you want, beyond what you can control if you will sit at the table. So uh, I'll, I'll give you a cheat code that I had when I was in college when it comes to food. Golden Corral. There was a Golden Corral right around the corner from our campus, and they served breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it was $5.99 to get in for the breakfast, right? Those days are long gone. So $5.99, all-you-can-eat breakfast. My buddies and I, we would go. We would get the corner booth. We'd pay $5.99, and we'd just clean up breakfast, right? And then we'd stay for two hours, and we'd study. And then at 11 a.m., when they flipped the buffet from breakfast to lunch, we'd go back up, and we'd have lunch. And then 
then after lunch, we'd stick around. If we really felt like being wild, we'd wait till 4 p.m. At 4 p.m., they turn it over from lunch to dinner. And at dinner, they serve steak. So we would go and we would sit at Golden Corral all day long, eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And as long as you didn't leave the table, you could keep eating. Come on, that's got to connect, right? Other than making you want to go to Golden Corral, it's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you sit at my table, that hunger in your soul will be satisfied. That longing in your soul will be satisfied. And if you have drifted away and you've wandered away and there is this pit in your stomach, there's this longing in your soul, there's this emptiness in your life, all you have to do is sit at the table. All you have to do is sit at the table. And at the table is the meal that never ends. That is the bread of life.